we're going to take our seats in a moment. Again, let's take that declaration of, of um, that we normally take at the beginning of prayer, and then we'll take our declaration of understanding, both of them, because today is our school of prayer. That's why I want us to just teach ourselves these declarations, because many people don't know this one by heart, because we often take it before we start the teaching, and so that one's normally not contained in our um, records. All right, now the start of prayers. This is how we declare the righteousness of God. We want to let's go. We enter into the presence of the Father, each one as a renewed child of God. We have not come in the power of the good works which we have done. We have come only because of the grace and mercy which we have in Christ Jesus. We thank the Lord for saving us. We thank the Lord for washing us clean. We have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. We have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. We have come to God, the judge of all. We have come to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. We have come to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better things than the blood of Abel. We declare in the name of Jesus, amen. 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 Please memorize this. Memorize it. I, um, it. It contains a lot of truths which you should not ever forget when you are going to pray. Never deviate from the truths contained therein. Christianity is not about spirituality. Christianity is not about moral lifestyle. Christianity is not primarily about righteous living. Christianity is not about changing people around you. Christianity is not first of all about doing what is right or holy. Christianity is first of all about the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's very important you get that clear. Every other thing you do that's not centered around the person of Jesus Christ is not Christianity and is not acceptable before God the Father. So when you are coming to pray, you can only come in the power of the mercy and grace which you have in Christ Jesus. You do not come in the power of your good works. Never forget it. You do not come because you know how to do anything. You come only because Jesus has opened a way. There's a new and living way which he enacted through his flesh. When he was crucified on the cross, his blood was shed to wash away your sins. By the shedding of that blood, you have been made acceptable before God the Father. Your ancestral curses have been removed. Everything that makes you unqualified to approach God has been removed by the washing of that blood. Indeed, you have been washed by that blood. He said, we thank the Lord for washing us clean. You have been washed by that blood. And for that reason, you can approach the Father anytime. Do you believe that? You do not approach the Father because of your offering. You do not approach the Father because you gave. You did something special. Something you had never done before. That is not what gets you results before the Father. You do not approach the Father because you fasted. You must never get your confidence from any of these things. They may be good works in themselves. You've been created to do them. But you don't do them and go before the Father and present them as a right to approach before him. When you want to approach, it is with the attitude of we are unworthy or like unprofitable servants, using King James English. We have only done that which we have been asked to do. You will all go with an attitude that when I'm leaving, if he has more things for me to do, I will gladly do them and count the doing of them as a privilege, not as a right. I hope you get my point. That is like, hey, I've done it now. He must do something for me. It doesn't work. One of our brothers told me something many years ago. I laugh. 
I laughed that day. He said he doesn't pray. And he said he doesn't ask God for anything. I'm like, how on earth will anybody not ask God for anything? He said, well, I just reasoned about it. There's no reason why God should answer him. Why not? He said he doesn't know what he has done for God. So that God will do back for him. Like, what did you just say? No, I was like, eh? Excuse me? Did you just say that? Anyway, I didn't know human beings thought like that. So that's why I keep on repeating these things. There are many things people are thinking. They tell them, pray about this. They won't pray about it. They say, God is not going to answer. Why? Last year, I ate most of my money by myself. Some people are still falling sick and stinking it's because they did not tight. They stole something from your backyard. It says because it did not tight. Please stop, it, stop that nonsense. What did I call it? What did I say? Stop that nonsense. I'm not saying you should be walking in sin. But God does not check whether you have tightened or you have not tightened before he protects you. I hope you're getting my point. He doesn't have that commandment over your head. There's a spirit behind the ties. We Christians, we participate in that spirit. We're not legalistic about it. Only once in my life have I ever calculated 10% before I gave. And in case you want to know the year, it was 1989. I did it once. Was it 1989? And the Lord made it clear to me, don't do it again. I've not done it since that time. Only once that I tried. Didn't do it a second time. In case you do not know, many people are listening to this in recording. This is the year 2023. That puts 89 at 34 years. Am I right or I'm wrong? Very right. In 34 years, I've not calculated 10% for anybody. And I've been waiting for the devourer. He doesn't come near. He knows we do. I don't deal in such things. There's a spirit behind the ties. I'm what I call a New Testament tither. Who's a New Testament tither? The cheerful, generous, and continual giver. I hope you're getting my point. I'm not saying I've never given more than 10% of my money. Did I ever say that? When I came to town, well, when I first got married, which was, of course, shortly after that we came to Enugu, my wife and I, we just got married then, so we're just getting our little family of two people set up. So we had to discuss money issues. How do we give? We came to an agreement. Of all the money we have, 50% will be earmarked for giving. Of that 50%, we'll split it into two. 25% will be gospel giving purely. The other 25% will be general giving. You go to the office, somebody says, please, my child is, uh, he needs to pay school fees. You give. You go home. You have to give to your parents. You have to do stuff like that. You have to give to friends, family. So we split it into two. We say half we have to give. Of that half that we are giving, half is purely for gospel. So 25% we earn for giving towards the preaching of the gospel. And we had a funny little book that God will look at and be laughing at these children. <laughs> Because we will do the calculations at the end of the maybe a period and discover that the general, our own money is not like the giving purse is owing. So it has crept beyond its own portion and has gone into the main one. So we'll write it down that next time money comes, we'll repay. The after a while, we realize that we'll never repay. We're always crawling beyond the giving proportion. So after a while, I told my wife, I said, this is not necessary. Let's just tear the book. So we tore the book. And since then, in over 20-something years, we have not had a book. If as opportunity comes, we will release money. I walk into a church. People are doing something there, and I believe in it. Uh-uh. Why should my name be missing? 
I mean, like, between me and God. I mean, is yourself doing something now? You say, oh, there are some ministers doing something here. You support ministers. Hey, you put something. Just be putting something, putting something. By that, you total it. I don't believe in calculate. Look, if I like, I eat all my money. I did not eat all my money because it's not necessary. God didn't give me my money to eat all by myself. Do you get my point? It would be irresponsible on my part to say I believe in something and I'm not giving towards it. I hope you're getting my point. However, so I just needed to explain that. So I'm not saying that Christians are not generous givers. But I have never, God sees my heart, I won't lie to you. And I'm, I'm before him. I have never been on my knees. And my wife and I said, look, after that giving, we give. Let's see what God will do. If God does something, fine. I, I don't tie it. If he doesn't do anything, I don't blame him. I don't fight him. I don't say you are owing me. Please bow your head for one minute and repent of thinking God is owing you. For those of you who are thinking like that, those of you who never thought like that, just be giving him thanks that you didn't think like that. Those of you who felt that your life of righteousness, other girls were running around and doing funny, funny things you did not do, so God owes you a good husband. <laughs> Something's wrong with you. God doesn't give his hand just because he, he thinks it is. No. If you do what is right, you should not be rewarded especially for living a life of righteousness. God doesn't give me things because I don't wallow in the mud. I don't wallow in the mud because I'm not a pig. It only becomes significant when I start wallowing in the mud. Somebody will drag me out and pray for me and deliver me of the pigry spirit. So give the Lord thanks that he has set you free and he has accepted you freely. It's so important. Please, let's never forget this. Thank him that no matter who you were, what you were like, Thank him for that. No matter what you were like, he accepted you in Christ Jesus. He washed you clean. He forgave your sins. Some were very religious. He still had to wash you clean of self-righteousness. Some were very rascally. He has to wash you clean of disobedience. But all of us have been accepted in him. Thank him for that. In Jesus' name we have prayed. Now it's our school of prayer. And in this season we are really doing serious teaching on prayer basics, and as we are going into the study again today, we believe that God will give us inspiration. Yeah. Say amen like you like that. Yeah. We believe that he has given us understanding. Yeah. We believe that the spirit of knowledge has been released upon us. Yeah. And because of this confidence, we declare as follows. Yeah. That the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I'm pleasing Him in all respects. I'm bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Now again, I incline my ears to His Word. The Word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, the Lord is good. Let's take our seats. Let's get into our teaching. All right, prayer basics. One of the most important privileges that God gave us as believers is that ability to pray. And one of the most important responsibilities he gave us is prayer. It's both a privilege and a responsibility. It's a privilege to be able to approach his throne and essentially tell him things to do. And if we do those things, relying on that authority which you offered to him 
to come into your earth space. Prayer is such a privilege, but it's also a responsibility. There are many things God wants to do on the earth. He requires human participation. And I'm talking about participation in prayer now. He said, this also, I will allow these sons of Israel to ask me to do for them. I will increase their men like a flock. That is, when he said also, they are to ask me to do the other things. When God reveals his will, now remember, the will of God is not done automatically. It's not done automatically in your life or around you. And I can easily prove that because if it was done automatically, why would Jesus give it as a prayer point? He said, pray like this, thy will be done on earth as it is written in heaven. Thy will be done on earth as it has been recorded in heaven. So what God does is that he writes his will in heaven and then he now tells his people, pray that that will be done on the earth. I hope you are getting my point. That thing is very important. I think after worship is the most important assignment in prayer. And a lot of us believers, we miss it. And I want to teach on that today. We're talking this as prayer basic series. In fact, just a feeling. I'm not saying I'm right. Just a feeling. I just feel like this is the most important thing in the whole series. I don't know whether I can do all of it today. But please, I will not say because you want to go home, I will stop. I will preach this thing until my body, my spirit, my soul say that it's enough. It can say it's enough for today. But I will not look at your body because you are, you are checking. You want to go. I will just tell you, go. Did I endure to the end? <laughs> I'm going to preach my message. The Lord is good. Yeah, because I feel, I feel so strongly about it. I feel so strongly about it. I believe that a lot of problems we have is because we are neglecting this ministry I want to talk about today. I believe, I believe that a lot of problems the nation has is because we are neglecting this ministry I'm about to talk about again today. We've talked about it in previous times. I believe that many families have problems. Because the intercessor God placed in their midst is not doing his work. She's not doing her work. I believe that Satan has harvested many people to be working for him. Because in life, you have to be one or two. Either you're an accuser or you're an intercessor. And most people are accusers. In fact, while I was meditating on today's meeting, I started asking myself, Banky, how have you been doing? I said, you self, you have to join this repentance. And at the end of the day, one of the things I'm going to call all of us into, in fact, as I'm preaching, just I'm calling you into it, is repentance. Change your ways. And start doing the reason God gave you life. Let's get into it. Last time we read James saying that the effectual heartfelt continued prayer of a righteous man avails much. We read from James chapter 5, right? And he was talking about the prayer of faith will save the sick. And the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed any sins, it shall be forgiven him. Now, please, you will notice something in verse 16. He said, therefore, confess your sins to one another. Emphasis the next phrase. And pray for one another. Or clause. So that you may be healed. One reason we are not being healed is that we are not praying for one another. We usually recommend the best doctors for one another. One reason we don't get healed is because we don't understand the assignment of praying for one another. Anyway, we'll get into it. 
He said, the effective prayer of a righteous man can accomplish much. So, we said, what is the prayer of faith? Verse 17 said, Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed earnestly. So, let me just get back there. He said, the prayer offered in faith. King James says, the prayer of faith, we restore the one who is sick. Now, I said last time, we used to say a prayer of, the prayer of faith is a type of prayer. But that is not actually accurate. The prayer of faith is describing true prayer. All genuine, effective, correct prayers are prayers of faith, or they must be prayers of faith. Yes, there is no other type. We used to say prayer of faith is one, and you pray it once, believe you have received, and you keep moving. No. Elijah, who was giving us an example, did not pray once, believe he had received, and he kept moving. We know what, what he did. He prayed earnestly, the Bible says. And so that earnestness is part of the prayer of faith. And we said that last time we're concluding that what's a prayer of faith is a prayer that's prayed with the knowledge of one, the character of God, two, the promises of God, and then prayed with earnestness and a heartfelt attitude. That is, it's earnest, it's heartfelt. Those three things are the things that make a prayer a prayer of faith. So a prayer of faith can be a prayer of intercession. Now, those are actually types of prayer. One of, of course, we talked about prayer of worship. I'm not going over that again, but just remind us briefly. What is prayer of worship? It's a prayer in which you bring your sacrifice to God anytime you come to pray. And the Bible says, don't approach him empty-handed. And we said one mistake we make is to think that empty-handedness means coming without a cash offering. When we say that as pastors, we're just trying to encourage Christians to bring money for the work of the ministry, which is not a bad thing, but that scripture is wrongly Applied. When it says don't appear before God empty-handed for us believers, it means always bring a sacrifice. And these are the sacrifices we bring to prayer as believers. Three things. Let's go over them again. One, thanksgiving. Two, praise. Three, ourselves. Consecration. You lay yourself as a living sacrifice on the altar anytime you come to pray. And what does that mean? Just tell the Lord it's not hard. Yours I am. Yours I want to be. Do with me whatever you want. Do with me your will. Help me to serve your purpose. I live for nothing else but fulfilling the reason you gave me life. Repeating that again and again is you putting your body on the altar as a living sacrifice. And you can say, Lord, I lay my body on the altar as a living sacrifice. Every part of me will do your will. I offer my members as instruments of righteousness, not instruments of unrighteousness. One of the most important members you offer as an instrument of righteousness is what? Your mouth, your tongue, your lips, your oratory apparatus. Do you get my point? Make sure it's always speaking, it's ministering grace to the hearer. It's ministering truth. It's not ministering bitterness. Like I said, I've been saying again and again, I hear some pastors preach and I say, listen, anybody you minister to will not serve God. And the person is, is pastoring. The person will be bitter, angry, just vexed. And the anger of man will not work the righteousness of God. You must minister grace. God helping me, I'll talk about it next meeting. We're teaching on Saturday about these uh, faith fundamentals. Many of us really don't believe. It's a key thing. We really don't believe. So if there is a problem... We don't come there preaching the gospel. We come there preaching human solutions. I hope you're getting my point. For example, now this is, this is a matter of fact. 
you can't disagree with this. If you disagree with this, something's wrong with you. I hope you get my point. Uh-huh. In Nigeria, as many countries in the world, there are a lot of problems. True or false? I mean, insecurity is there. I mean, we don't know whether we have Naira, we don't have Naira, whether we have cashless or cashful. Sometimes we don't even know. Everybody see, people are saying line up in tribunal. One man went to tribunal, to Nine Neck office in, in uh, Port Harcourt to go and collect certified true copies of some things. Tug, tugs, <laughs> tugs beat him. They were shooting anyhow. And he's a member of the ruling party. I saw it and I just shook my head. Political turmoil. How's the health infrastructure like? Education. Some things we have been complaining about. I saw one Catholic bishop complaining about it too. He said, he said, I neck, I neck. He said, why won't I neck cheat? He said, when you parents teach your children from nursery school to cheat. You know, when God wants to judge, people will be surprised. People shouting, I neck, I neck. They cheat, they cheat for children in primary school. A school got closed yesterday or two days ago because a parent wrote a petition to the government. I don't know which state. I think it's an Anambra state, yes. Why? Because primary school children came to write an exam and the school wrote answers on the board and a parent wrote a petition to the government. So they came, shut down the school. Primary school. And you are saying INEC should not cheat. If you are INEC, who don't you cheat? Think about it. You've been cheating since you were in primary school. Now, let me not sit on the problems of the nation, but the, the problems are abundant. Now, many times we now get there and we are given the opportunity to do something that, like, maybe, okay, as a church, we come to try and solve the problem. And we start organizing seminars on how not to cheat, on how neck can have better control of beavers. Some people say, what's beavers? You'll be listening to this one, you don't know. It's our bimodal voters. Accreditation system. It's a special machine in, invented for us. So that we'll know that you have voted, you can't vote twice. Yet, because of the kind of human beings we were, we're able to bypass beavers. Listen, all these systems are not as important as having normal human beings. Look, if I start just there, I'll leave my message. Let me just sit on my message. You can invent systems. Once the human beings are around, the systems are very corrupt. They will corrupt the system. They will corrupt the system. If you see what people, some of our guys in this country do to steal from banks, you will respect them. That is, you are this smart, you shouldn't be stealing. That we can invent this amount of steps to bypass, because... Nigerian banks have one of the tightest security systems in the world because they know the kind of people they are dealing with. Yes, on boss, we sit at home. Sit down. Invent things that should win a Nobel Peace Prize. To steal from the bank. Now, where am I going? When you not get the church, bring up for the solution. We start organizing systems. We start organizing, organizing seminars on how not, no. God said, Paul speaking, I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is a power of God unto salvation. That is, most of us are ashamed of the gospel. We don't believe it's a solution. Instead of preaching the gospel with um, conviction in church, 
We preach it small and bring other things. You know the truth? We don't truly believe. The church should have known that the real solution is the gospel. So the more you see the cadence outside, the church should congregate and say, pastors, we are not doing our work. Bring your notes. Bring your messages. Let's listen to each other. What were you preaching there? What were, where the problem? Some things we say in church, when it goes outside, it metamorphoses into crazy things, and we don't know where the one causing them. I hope you're getting my point here. What am I saying? Faith. I'm talking about prayer of faith. Remember that. Prayer of faith means that I'm, I know, I understand that the gospel, that the power belongs to God. I understand the character of God. I understand the promises of God. And then, these things are heartfelt. I know that the gospel is a power. So when I pray on these premises, when I pray with these things in my mind, the Bible calls it prayer of what? Faith. And I say, what's a prayer that's not of faith? There are just two kinds of prayer in that regard. The prayers are that of faith or it's not of faith. The prayers are not of faith are the ineffective prayers that mean nothing. And the ears of God does not bless the person who prays it. They are prayers of show. You video yourself praying so they can put on YouTube. Say, now our church, we've grown for two hours today. And you put it on YouTube for us to be hearing all of, all of you for two hours. It's a prayer of show. Prayer of copycat. You organize prayer meeting because somebody else is organizing. Those are prayers that are not of faith. There are prayers that are just prayers of habit. They don't mean anything to you. You were raised up to be talking like that. So you continue. They are prayers of rote learning. They are not of faith. A prayer of faith, you expect to get results. You know a living person, your heavenly father, the judge of the heavens and the earth is listening. And you approach him in the name of Jesus. And you say, avenge me of my adversaries. You have a prayer point. And you have expectation, which you will be able to recognize when he fulfills. That's a prayer of faith. Requests demand, you know, expectation. You don't come to God and you are not expecting anything. Even when you are giving thanks, you are expecting to accept the thanksgiving. If you come to make a request, you are expecting to grant the request. You expect him to react. You expect him to respond. And when your wife says to you, what about this? You tell her, I have prayed about it. And if she's of faith, she say, okay. Relaxing, knowing that something will soon happen. We have prayed. I hope you're getting my point. That's a prayer of faith. So, prayer of faith, therefore, has different types. Prayer of worship. We'll talk about it. Thanksgiving, praise, consecration. Then another one is a prayer of, now please, I want to just say something. It's a prayer in which we bring requests to him. It's a broad group. But we'll not divide it into prayer of intercession, which is what I want to talk about today. In which we are praying for somebody else, or praying for something else, or praying for, you know, some people, a nation, a country. But you're not praying for yourself. The one you pray for yourself, we generally call it prayer of petition. But they are all the same. Now, what I mean that in all of you are making petitions to God. But we'll just talk, call it other petition or supplication, just to say, okay, I'm praying for myself. 
Like if I come and say, give us this day our daily bread, and I'm talking about my family, that's not intercession, it's me. Do you get my point? If I'm sick and I say, Lord, fulfill your word in my life, in which it is written, himself took my infirmities and my diseases. By his stripes, I have been healed. When I ask for myself, I'm not praying for somebody else. God doesn't reward me for that kind of prayer. He can answer it, but there is no reward. Now, I need to quickly explain that. There are some certain kinds of prayers that have reward. And that's the prayer of intercession. The prayer you pray in which it is an offering to God for somebody else is like giving. You spent your time to intercede that somebody else will be blessed. You're not personally benefiting. Yet you invested energy, you invested time, and you invested faith. Because faith is a quantity. You understand my point? It's deplete. You have to keep renewing it. So you invested faith that somebody else might be blessed. You invested faith that the church of God might prosper. You invested faith and time and energy that the nation might move forward. It's a prayer of intercession. And for that, God gives a reward. God takes it as a gift, an offering, a sacrifice. No, a seed, something that you did is just like giving money out. It's like giving your time to help somebody. It's called sowing and reaping. That kind of prayer is taken as a seed in that regard. So it has reward. And I know that because Jesus said, don't be like the Pharisees who like to pray in the open. He said, verily, verily, I say unto you, they have their reward already. That tells you that if they did not do that, they pray that their prayer properly. He said, when you want to pray, go into your innermost room, your closet. And your heavenly father who sees in secret, he said, will reward you. King James says he will reward you openly. It means, therefore, that prayer in a particular category brings forth reward. And that prayer is called the prayer of intercession. It's not every prayer that's in that category. If I pray for myself, it's not in that category. I shouldn't be rewarded for helping my own self. But if without anybody paying me, I take time out. John said, if you find a brother committing a sin that is not unto death, Say so you will go and pray for that person. You will ask God to give him life. That is, God will overlook his iniquity and bless him despite that and keep him, not bring forth judgment upon him. You understand? He said, you will have received life for that fellow. That is an intercessory prayer. Then God gives you a reward. You don't go and brag before him. I'm the reason why you didn't die. I spent last week praying for you. You have lost your reward. <laughs> I hope you get my point. I'm not saying you can never tell somebody you are praying for them. Please, I'm not saying that because sometimes we want people to be encouraged. We are with you. We are praying with you. But it's not a matter of show off. You're not trying to get anything from him or her or from other people. They're just saying that, look, I am with you. You're not alone. Please, I hope you're getting my point. So the prayer of intercession is what I want to talk about today. All right? I think it's one of the most important prayers in life. And I think very few Christians are actually engaged in it. I've said it here before. You know, where was I talking recently again? Many of us, many of us, it's normal. You can be in a family, father, mother, four, five children, family of seven, and then only you seem to have, can I use the word spiritual sense? Okay. You're the only one with spiritual sense. Everybody else, your father is not normal, your mother is confused, your elder brother, you don't even know whether it's going forward or backward. As for your younger sister, that one lost before she was born. I hope you're getting my point. You look, you are the only one that goes to church. When they are planning urukuruku in the house, since time you were young, time you were 12, for one reason or the other, 
you stuck with what that uncle told you in school. He told you every sinner will go to hell. You believed him. You found it hard to lie. You found it hard to do any bad thing. By the age of 14, you were studying Bible by yourself and understanding it. You were going to church when everybody else was going to the shrine. When they gather for family deliverance, you don't go. Because you know you have been delivered in Christ. Now, let me just tell you something. Understand this clearly. It's not because you are better than other people. The other people in the family. It's that God looked at the family. All the grace available to save that whole family. Couldn't save everybody. Yeah, you know what happens? Grace has measures. Ah, I don't have time to be there. Explain some of these spiritual principles. Generations and genealogies, things are shared. God looked at all the grace available for your father's life. If it dies out to save everybody, everybody will die. And go to hellfire. So it takes the one that your father should have had. Your father will said his own long ago. So let's leave that. Your mother, your siblings, the ones remaining, he collected from the firstborn, secondborn, you had number three, and the one after you. Collected everything and put on only your head. Say, Pastor Bank, how do you know these things? Why did Jesus not pray for all the disciples? Why did they choose Peter alone? Why did they say, I have prayed for you? Because he said to him, Simon, Simon, Satan has desired to sift you, literal Greek, desired to sift you all like wheat. Like wheat. If you go read King James, it will say, see, uh, you. But I prayed for thee. That's King James differentiating because that's how it is in the Greek. I prayed for you, Peter. I prayed for thee. Thee is singular. You in the old English is plural. Satan has desired to sift you all like wheat. But I prayed for thee, Peter, one person, that your faith will not fail. Now, when you have been converted, Take care of everybody else. That's where I got our understanding from. I didn't manufacture it. It's in scripture. So God said, you that have now saved like this, from the age of 14, you have learned to pray. At 17, you are ready. You know, you are, you are groaning all night. I don't mean, not for YouTube. Serious prayer. In your corner in the house. You know what it means? Say, all the, everybody else is your responsibility. Don't go to bed at night without praying for them. Anytime they do so, what is bad, forgive them fast because you see offense prevents intercession. Oh, yes, it does. You have to forgive very fast. It's an assignment. When they borrow your money, don't pay back. Quickly forgive them. Don't say, that's what my brother does. He never gives back money you give to him. You know, we know. God knows. But say, Lord, despite that, I forgive him. I won't let this one be held against him. It's an assignment. You have been burdened. Your name is Peter. You must pray for everybody else. You will sustain it. You are the one shining light into that hope. You will say to God, none of my siblings will go to hell. My, if your parents are alive, say none of them will die without knowing Jesus Christ. You put your name there in prayer every day and pray for them. It's the reason why God picked you. You're not better than your elder brother that looks thoroughly confused. You know, some people just will come in the morning and say confusion is in front of them. It's as if it's confusion that wakes them up. The father gave him money to go and pay his school so he can graduate. Before he paid the bossa, somebody tapped him. Say, oh boy, 150000 for the school. For what? We can multiply this. So when is the deadline for payment? One more week. Ah. He goes to bet this one, bet that. He put 150 k Short banker. Somebody dreamt. As now we beat Southampton. And Southampton, they, they, they don't palm everything. And then the thing hits. 
150,000 hits. Okay, it's not everything. It's only 50,000 he took. If he hits, we're getting like 15 million. So he puts it. And of course, he hits the rock. So he can't go home. So he's hanging around. Because he can't go home, the balance 100 is chopping it bit by bit. And that person brings another scheme. Make a long story short. That's how your brother didn't graduate that year. He couldn't go home to tell your father. Because he knows that your father struggled to pull out that 150. And you, of course, because your head is very correct, you would never bet if it is you. So what you are thinking of is you take a gun and shoot him in the interest of the rest of the family. Which would be very nice because you'll stop causing problems. Dead men tell no tales. They don't don't cause problems. That's what you are thinking. But you know what God said? Just forgive him. It's not himself. His spirit is pursuing him up and down. Take his matter to God in prayer. Pray for him morning, afternoon, and night. As you are learning, you'll be knowing the kind of words to offer in prayer. I hope you're getting my point. There are words that will be coming up for you to use in prayer. It's your assignment. Oh. In fact, sometimes if you know the weight of this assignment, you say you want to be unsaved so that you won't have this body. It's a heavy assignment. It's heavy. You can't escape it. You can't say, I'm not doing. I'm not the one that gave birth to them. <laughs> God said, I've hung them on your neck. That's why God invented families. There are things I've seen in this life. Eh? I guess only you could have invented it, God. Let's be honest. Number one is which one? Marriage. marriage. When you think about marriage, just know it's, it's when you, if, you, if you don't understand marriage, eh, you think it's a good idea. If you know it well, it's a very, very bad idea. That the only person that could have invented it is God. And without his power, you will suffer. So when you are going to marry, please oh, first know God first. If you don't know Jesus Christ, just stay single. <laughs> ah, it's in the Bible. In all these things I'm telling you, you say, I, you know, I will give you the scripture. When Jesus said you can't divorce your wife, Peter and God said it's better not to marry. Is that not what he said? And Jesus didn't say that, no, it's better to marry. No. He said, with man, this is impossible. But all things are possible with God. Even Jesus acknowledged it. If you still see stable marriages outside Christ, they are not, they are not enjoying the marriage of God. Yeah. Telling you. When God said your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. <laughs> Let me not start teaching on the curse of Eve. I want to start teaching the curse of Eve. Let me not start. Well, I'm just going to all of this is that. Listen. The next thing that's so terrible is family. Family is good. But if you have a bad one, or more, you will know why. You know, when people have so-called advanced, they usually break family down. Where was I talking recently? Okay, um, radio. That was, okay, that's Kingdom World Radio. I was answering questions on Ask Pastor Banky. And I said, listen, what you find in the advanced country now is ungodly. When you find any society that has old people's homes, eh? it's a backsliding society. Any society that has orphanages is backsliding. In the real society that God created, no old person should go to any home. It should be in somebody's house. It should, the person should be in the home of the children. 
or in the home of the, the adopted children, like what I mean, can be in the home of a nephew, a niece, who sees a fellow as, no, sorry, yes, a nephew, a niece, as a parent. One of my colleagues the other day, a few years ago, he told him, please, uh, he will obtain permission from me. Where are you going? My uncle, I need to go take him to hospital. What happened? He went abroad. He decided that he needed only one child. You know, you both people confused him. So after living in America for a long time, he and his wife had only one child. And they came back home and the child died. So they are now old. So anytime the man is going to, this guy has to leave. He's his father's brother. He has to travel home to go and take the man to the hospital. He now became the man's son. That's what God expected. There's no reason why you should go to any home, old people's home. I mean, you have, you have somebody take care of him. That's what God expects. God expects that if you pick a baby on the street that doesn't have a father, doesn't have a mother, there are many homes that you just give, you, not even begging you. Knock, hello? How old is your last child? Says three. This is your next one. Take. Yeah, just give it to you. Just take. And we'll be so used to it, it won't be a strange thing. We'll go to church and go and do Thanksgiving. But when the world has messed the whole thing up, we'll not be investing money in old people's homes. Nigeria will not be traveling abroad to go and be caregivers in old people's homes. When those people's children will not care for them. That's it now. They now say that they are straining the healthcare system. Why won't you? Why won't you? Many of the things we, we take scripture, children are the heritage of the Lord, the fruit of the womb is a reward. We say, hey, what are you doing with them? Because I know why I said it to. Every society that has argued against that scripture, they are now going back now. China is going back. Europe is going back. All this immigration, opening door, opening door, is because they disobeyed the scripture. God is now using that opportunity to take most of Europe and hand it over to Muslims. Because they need the manpower. Most of them, without the immigration, population is going to de- is declining rapidly, very fast. In many of them, that there are too many old people, too, too few young people to work so as to take care of the pension system. But you know, Africans, who gives the, who cares about pension system? One of the children are working, everybody contributes money and pay your father pension, pay your mother pension. If government decides they are not paying pension for 10 years, I don't think my mother cares. The money I alone give her is more than what government can give as pension. And I'm not the only one giving anything. I have a brother and sisters who take care of everything she needs. She works, she retired, she earns a pension. But she only collects the pension so that it will be that I'm here collecting it. It's my money. Well, this one they say that some states didn't pay pension for eight months. What does it doesn't, She really doesn't give a hoot. Because God made his system, he put it there. We got up, I thought we were too smart. We spoiled it because of technological advancement. You see, God is always proved to be true. Imam is proved to be liars. So, so sit on the main message. The family system, God will put them in place to rescue people. We're focusing on the spiritual rescue now. If I don't know you from anywhere and you are, your life is upside down, you're behaving like your head is not correct, what's my business? 
No, I'm not going to care. And I shouldn't care because I have too many other things to care about. I hope you're getting my point. But you know what? Your brothers will care. Your sisters will care if they are normal people. They will care. They will nurse you. They will take care of you. They will carry their bo- your burden on their head. And listen, it's, it's, divine, it's divine system. If you're in a family, you earn more money more than other people. Don't expect them to contribute equally. God will be angry with you. Because I know I'm giving you more money. Maybe let's just make it simple. Somebody earns 25000 You only, you now collect 500000 a month. I'm going to be flying all over the world. God says, okay. I go soon put in the in your pocket. It's a Yoruba saying. It's both literal and figurative. God asking, and Yoruba man say, I bet don't put in the in my pocket. You know what that means? It means I don't put me in trouble. That is, it comes from like, you'll be going on the road. They just set you. Just find in the ahem. You're under arrest. You say, for what? They show you the cannabis that you are carrying. Say, I don't know how you got there. <laughs> how do you want to tell NDLE? You don't know how you got there. You tell police that you don't know how you got there. You say, the thing materializes your pocket. You must be manufacturing it through the lining of your clothes. So you remember what they say, nah, but when you want to discuss and say, please, please, don't put in their hemp in my pocket. And sometimes God will put in their hemp in your pocket. Yeah, when you think that all this money I give you so I can be gallivanting all over the place, you're feeling cool. Because you think you are smarter than everybody else in that family. Because you know when they are contributing money. If everybody brings 10 naira, you bring 5,000. I hope you are getting my point. That's the way it works. But please, I'm coming to the spiritual aspect. So that same thing comes on spiritually. You have understanding they don't have. You, you, are, you are the prayer warrior. You are the intercessor. You are tied to them. There's a reason why God tied it. The reason is because the heartfelt continued prayer is what avails. If you are not tied, it's hard to pray by faith for people. It's very hard. If you don't have a connection, you pray for two days, you forget. But if you are the one they will call, you will remember. There's just something about being from a family. You think just hooks you, is there. You are born without weight. You can't shake it off. You know, there's something my father-in-law said once, which is very, very, very spiritual, very, very true. I've told some of his story before because he came from Nadia Delta family where his father had a lot of wives and plenty of children. And of course, they're from farming background, you know, stuff like that. So, not like they were well-to-do, just normal farming background. So, he said that, <laughs> but he being the oldest child in the family, as soon as he finished school, of course, to go through school, he struggled a lot. Not academically, not financially. So, what he would do is holiday period, he goes to work, he work, you know, on the farm. Then when he could teach in school, he would teach. And then because God gave him the mind, it was brilliant, so he was winning scholarships. So with the scholarships and his hard labor, he was able to go through school fairly easily. All right, at least he overcame all the challenges. You know, the first thing he did when he began to earn, people after him started paying. He said, Banky, and only time the family does not live long. Yeah. He said, Lord, we kill you. So <laughs> the first thing he did for himself was that next off to school. Don't worry, I will pay. Everybody that will go, he will pay. To him, he was like, this is the only way to live long. 
But again, if I don't do it, I'm still young now. One day, I'll be carrying everybody on my shoulder and he had a lot of everybody after him. So God gave him that wisdom. He sacrificed and struck. Now, it wasn't, it wasn't easy. Stress himself. Stress his wife. They did everything. Why? Let everybody please keep moving. That when they have all moved, all of us will have ease. And it came to pass the way he felt it would. That's what family is like. Like I said, I'm taking the spiritual angle of it. You sit down. God says, I have made you an intercessor of the family. I have prayed for you. Peter, I prayed for thee, using King James, that your faith will not fail. But when you are delivered, I'm adding words now, when you have been lifted, turn around and lift other people. Become their intercessor. Become one that will pull them out of the pit that their ancestral curse has thrown them into. Show them Christ. First of all, through prayer. You can't, you can't do it with your own energy. But at least let it be the agony of your soul. Do you get my point? Don't seek to be detached. It's a divine assignment. Don't seek to run away. You will be abandoning your responsibility. God even told them in Israel, if any man is in bondage, I want his closest relative to be the one to redeem him. Let them not give their duty to somebody else. It is the assignment for that family. Solve your problem. If you, if you look, study the laws of God that he gave Israel. He handed, look, a man dies. He leaves a wife. Look, that is his arrangement. <laughs> Let me not even go into details. If said, okay, if the lineage is supposed to carry a name and he doesn't have a name, then he will marry his brother and you didn't have a choice. There were two people, the sons of Judah, that refused to have children for their elder ones. God killed both of them. Now, kill you know. God killed both of them. What is the reason? They refused. They said, the child we have will not be our name. God said so. So, they did what they did to prevent it from happening. So, as soon as they were done, God killed the first one. Next one, God killed the second one. Ha! The next one, Judah, go hide that one. Let's not go into what the girl now did. All their urukuruku and their misbehavior fulfilled the will of God. <laughs> but is it we say that there's ancestral curse in the family? The first one has died. The next one died. Three sons now. There was no ancestral curse. It was ancestral misbehavior. The first one died for whatever reason. The next one, okay, have a child for your brother's, under your brother's name. That one said, no, go great. She, he died. Next one, he refused. He died. So three boys died like that. There's something the family killing. They knew there was nobody. It was God. But it teaches us something. That this life is not about you. This life, you have, look, let me tell you something. Anybody telling you that, uh, you know, in this country, every life is comfortable. Just say, oh, bro, 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 listen, you know the first series of messages I did when Kino was started, when we began to have our regular meetings, 2003, this year is what? This year is the 20th. I think it's around May we began, if I can think, if I remember correctly. 2003, 20, 2003, or so we began. This is the 20th year of me standing like this every Saturday, and then we added Tuesdays. Initially on Monday, they moved to, to, to Tuesdays. 20 years. So when you get to our website, you find over 1,600 messages. <laughs> we didn't just wake up one day, we just preach them. No. It's accumulating each year. Drop uh, maybe 50 first year. 
Next year, you drop a hundred. Next year, you just be dropping like that, dropping like that. That's how I accumulated that, to that number. But the first one we did was titled Man on Assignment. That's where I'm going. Man on Assignment. That is still there. If you, I'm sure if you listen to it, my voice will sound different. <laughs> This voice man was 20 years. It was very youthful that time. And then the messages were short. Not because I didn't have energy to preach for long, but there was no power in the building. So we had to go out before it gets dark. We started by five, out of by six. But now I can preach my everlasting gospel. So man on assignment, we called it. Every time you need to make a decision in life, put that in mind. Your comfort is the least important of everything. It's your effectiveness in fulfilling your responsibility that's paramount, not your comfort. If they make you comfortable, you can't do your work. Remember what God did to Onan and Co. Those are the children of Judah. So I'm just giving an example of that family thing. So it can look like a burden, but that's what God did. It makes us what? Intercessors. I've just taken time out to explain the job of an intercessor. It's quite an intense job. It is an intense job. God has given it to us. I've taken time out to talk about families, but I have many more more things to say about being an intercessor. But I believe that has set a stage for us to say the other things. Now, I'm going to start by explaining that, or continue by explaining the fact that, what, why do we need intercessors? Now, first, let me explain what intercession means, all right? Intercession, again, means that you are obtaining mercy. The word, key word is what? Say it again. The key word is mercy. You're obtaining mercy from God on somebody's behalf. That is summary of what intercession is. Now, why did God institute that? We've already explained that prayer is like this. The heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but the earth he has given to the sons of men. So anytime God wants to do something on the earth, he looks for somebody on the earth that will authorize him to do it. When we talk about prayer, just like law, in anything you pray about, you must have a local standing. You must have a heart connection. You must be affected in one way or the other. And the affecting, that is the involvement of the heart, is a very strong one as far as God is concerned. And that's the reason why he can by himself place a burden on you even though something naturally does not concern you. I hope you get my point. But without that burden, you would not have the, the right to pray in his presence. So, on the earth, for God to do anything, we said the heavens are the heavens of the Lord, but he has given each of us authority in different spheres of life. He has connected us, I'm talking about families, so that the person's trouble can be your trouble. And that's part of how God designed his life. For example, Jesus could not, God couldn't save mankind. Let me say it like that. God could not save mankind. Angels could not save mankind. Why? Because they did not have enough connection to be able to make adequate intercession. So what did he do? The son had to come in the likeness of sinful flesh. He had to be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. You know the reason why Jesus came to the earth? Just one reason, not two. To qualify to be an intercessor. That's why. 
He shed his blood. Didn't just wash away our sins. He shed his blood and then he took it and presented it as an intercessor. And that's why the Bible says he ever lives to make intercession. See, the reason he came was to qualify to be able to intercede. Because the redemption of his soul is costly. That's one. No man can redeem his brother. So who's going to do it? Yet he had to be redeemed by a kinsman redeemer. So how do we do it? So Jesus had to come as a kinsman redeemer. He had to be related. And to be related to the whole of mankind, he had to be a son of Adam too. So that's why he kept on calling himself the son of man. The son of man. That was his right. That was what gave him the local standing before God to come and plead for the forgiveness of our sins and say, I have paid. I have died for them. Angels couldn't do it. Nobody could do it. That was why his scroll was found sealed. And John looked. And they looked. There was nobody worthy to open this, to break the seals and open the scroll and look into the contents thereof. So John wept. He knew we were doomed. On the night of the lion of the tribe of Judah has prevailed. He now saw a lamb as if slain. That was why Jesus came and died. Because without that, he didn't have the... There was no connection with mankind to be able to redeem mankind. That is what intercession is. So right now, we are not saved simply because Jesus died. We are saved because having died, he rose again and ever lives to intercede. I hope you're getting my point. That's why I say he's able to save to the uttermost. Those who draw near to God by him. Why? Because he ever lives to make intercession for them. And not just say because he died. We are saved because he's alive. Interceding based upon the sacrifice on the cross. I hope you are getting my point here. God did it like that. Intercession is very powerful. So for him to do anything on the earth, he says somebody has to come and plead. Next point I should make, he's a very reluctant judge. That is, when it comes to punishment. God is a very reluctant judge. However, because he's righteous, he has to judge. He's reluctant, but he's righteous. So he's reluctant to judge you, to judge me. But if he doesn't, his throne is undermined. Because the foundation of his throne is what? Righteousness. Righteousness means you always do what is right. It means you will always do what is right. So if God allows somebody to go without being punished for his sins or his misbehavior, he becomes unrighteous. So what he does is this. Listen to this. We are able to go to him through many methods to obtain mercy. You can have enough mercy to pass around. It's like money. You can go and obtain, you can walk. What you need in a day to eat is maybe a thousand naira as an example. Okay? But every time you walk, you earn five thousand. God says, your money is like your mercy. You cannot give to the person who could not get a job. So that five of us will eat, even though I'm the only one working. I hope you're getting what I'm saying. That's how mercy also is. So somebody goes to God, obtains mercy. The mercy is so abundant. Take Jesus as an example. The mercy is so abundant. He now takes it. He now finds somebody who is committing a sin. Then he takes that mercy. 
and goes to the father and pleads, basically paying. Do you care what I'm going to say? For the person's sin. Now, so God's goodness is satisfied like that. And what God does every day, listen to this, is to look for people like that who are like Jesus Christ, who he can pour abundant mercy, abundant mercy into their lives, and then they can share it around. And listen, let me tell you something about mercy. Mercy does not stop judgment. It delays it, giving the owner, the, the receiver of mercy, time to repent. We must never forget that. It doesn't totally. What it can do is to pay for past iniquity. Do you get my point? But you can't continue in sin. What mercy does is that, no, you won't die now. We will hold it. while. That's why mercy has to also teach. I hope you get my point. So you are praying for your family members as an example. You don't just pray for them that they will know that nothing will go bad with them. You have to pray for them that God will bring light into them. And when they receive the initial light of Christ, that God will continue to increase them in the knowledge of his will, in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Because that's what we sustain them in freedom. That is what we sustain them in liberty. The prayer, the intercession for mercy, we just push back the hand of judgment, giving them enough time to become who God created them to be. So what God does is go around, look for people. Like I said earlier, he picks one person from that family. And he says to a man like Abraham, I will bless you so much you will become a blessing. The reason he picked Abraham was not so he could bless Abraham. The reason he picked Abraham was so that Abraham could be a blessing. But Abraham needed to be blessed to be a blessing. So blessing Abraham was a means to the real thing he wanted to do. I hope you're getting my point. So anytime God touches any one of us, what he's saying is that I'm blessing you so you can be a blessing. And today we're talking about the primary blessing here of mercy. The primary blessing of mercy. Mercy is abundant for those who fear him. Mercy is abundant for those who love him. Mercy is abundant for those who work with him. But what does he give them that mercy? It is so that they can become intercessors and redeemers for whoever and whatever situation he connects them with. Please, what I'm saying, I hope you are following it. I hope you are following it. I say he's a reluctant judge. He's always looking for excuses to show mercy. The reasons he shows mercy, one, those who love God, they obtain mercy. You know that. Those who fear him. Then number two, if anybody personally repents and cries for mercy, they will obtain mercy. But we're talking about intercession. The third reason he shows mercy to anybody is because somebody who has obtained mercy is praying for that individual. And that's your assignment. That's what I'm teaching about prayer. That we have obtained mercy. Somebody say amen. amen. But now you know what the purpose is. It's not just so that we will enjoy the mercy we have obtained, but so that we can become what? Intercessors. You know why I'm teaching about this? I realized something. Every one of us has been called to be an intercessor. Sometimes we talk about somebody has a ministry of intercession. And I think, yes, some people do. I'm not saying they don't. They don't exist. But I found out, just thinking about it, every single individual has a ministry of interceding for some people and for some persons. Let me give you an example. I just want to jump because I have so many things I want to explain to us today. But I think we are doing good. We are doing good. You know, I used to say something there. That a prophet is not a seer. 
So a lot of people go around. I'm not saying prophets don't see. So you see, election time is coming in Nigeria. Everybody has to prove his anointing by telling us who will win. And people don't even learn. Nine times out of ten, they get it wrong. Have you not noticed? And next time they will do it again. They know they're here. And then, like, when January will come, I have seen pastors do it. As if they have to tell you what will happen this year. It's not necessary. God's calendar doesn't change January 1. Ah, Nigeria, calendar is October 1 or May 29. <laughs> you know, Nigeria, October 1 is Independence Day. May 29 is Democracy Day. Oh, well, June 12 is now Democracy Day, right? But at least May 29 is the handover, change of government. And you don't know when God is changing things in the, in the heavenly realm. It's not, it's not January 1. Pastor Justin must come to church and be prophesying. This year, I see tsunami. It's not compulsory. No, I'm not saying God doesn't show things. But don't think it's your job. You know what I found out while meditating? The primary assignment of the people called prophets is to warn. Is to correct. Now somebody asked a question that um, Thor Reverend's wife, who's our host on uh, Ask Pastor Bank, was asking me the other day. So somebody asked a question like this. That he, I don't know whether he or she, but the person said, he see, like tends to know things and sees things and all of that. So what should I do now with my like? I said, if you are thinking you're a prophet, first forget that. That was my first answer. If that is confusing, it is vision. Doesn't make you a prophet. So you have a gift that doesn't make you a prophet. It could be, but it does not make it compulsory. Don't go and start church. Have you seen now? Please. Have you seen all these churches that women start all over the place? All those prayer houses, deliverance houses, prophetic houses. 99 out of 100. Run. What did I say? Once a ministry or church is founded on ability to see, they are not serving God. Every ministry and church should be founded on the need to build up saints. I hope you're getting my point. People think that because they are prophets, they must always be No. The first job of a prophet is to instruct, well, primarily correct people when they err. Not to be preaching the weather. That's the primary assignment. Just like a pastor's first job is not to rub your back. It's to teach you the word of God. I will give them pastors after my heart. Who will do what? Feed them with knowledge and with understanding. So don't be harassing pastors. They didn't come to visit me. You, why were you not in church when they were teaching? The deacons can go and visit me. I hope you're getting my point. Everybody has a primary assignment. The primary assignment of prophet is to one. But the one I want to bring out, which I found from scripture, and you find all over the place, is that one of their major assignments, can you believe, is to intercede. Why I was thinking about it, I just realized that you go through scriptures. Someone said, moreover as for me, far be it, from me that I should sin against the Lord by ceasing to pray for you. Ah, I don't know whether he caught that. That is Samuel's job. One of his major jobs 
was to pray for the people. He said, but I will instruct you in the good and right way. That for Samuel, it would have been a sin, a neglect of duty, dereliction of duty, for him not to have continued to pray for the nation of Israel. Then I went, went on and found out there was no only Samuel. Open your Bible to the book of Amos chapter 7. And let, let's look at Amos. Amos was called a keeper of sycamore trees. He was not a typical prophet. He was not the son of a prophet at any point in time. He was doing his farming business when God called him and told him, go over to Israel. I think it was from Judah. God said, go to Israel and go and prophesy. Or it was from, which one was it from? And just quickly open there, open there, we'll read it, we'll find out. That's Amos. Amos chapter 7. We'll read from verse 1. We'll jump a few lines to save time. Now, in the vision, God showed him something. He said, first the Lord God showed me, and behold, what did he show me? It was forming a local swarm when the spring crop began to sprout. Dangerous time. New Living Translation says, I saw him preparing to send a vast swarm of locusts over the land. This was after the king's share had been harvested from the fields and as the main crop was coming up. In my vision, the locusts ate every green plant in sight. Then I said, listen to the job of a prophet. Then I said, oh, sovereign Lord, please forgive us or we will not survive. For Israel is so small. So the Lord relented from this plan and said, I will not do it. What does that tell you? God never wanted to do it. That is a reluctant judge. He's reluctant. When you see all those prophecies of doom, there are things that he will do that he doesn't want to do. So he sings them out loud. Paradventure people will come and say, what must we do to be delivered from the judgment to come? That's why he revealed this to Amos. But where I want to bring out is that, what did Amos do? Amos began to intercede. He said, oh Lord, please pardon. How can Jacob survive? For he's so small. Then the Lord changed his mind about this. Then verse 4. Then the sovereign Lord showed me another vision. I saw him preparing to punish his people with a great fire. The fire had burned up the depths of the sea and was devouring the entire land. He saw it in the vision. Then I said, oh sovereign Lord, please stop intercession or we will not survive for Israel is so small. Then the Lord relented from this plan too. I will not do that either, said the sovereign Lord. They just to give us examples of the job of prophets. We saw it with Samuel. I'm showing us here with Amos. If you go down to Jeremiah, the same thing. Jeremiah was so good with that. In fact, he was, he was consumed with that job of intercession. Till God had to say to him, it won't work anymore. He said, on this one, even if Moses and Samuel were recruited, I still would not listen. But I want to bring out the fact that the prime, it wasn't delight. God raised him up, not just to predict and show evil or correct, was to intercede so that that one will not come. I'm sorry. 
just have to teach the body of Christ. My aim is not to be critical, but we have to be corrected. After this last election went the way many Christians and prophets did not want, I don't want to say, I don't want to say did not expect. Because God never leaves himself without witnesses. The man came up and said that the prophets have met and this was going to happen. There will be protests, there will be riots, there will be deaths, there will be killings, there will be this, there will be that, there will be that. And I said, sir, you shouldn't say that. When I heard him, I didn't believe him. As he spoke, I said, no, the Lord is not speaking this one to you. And if you were, what were you supposed to do? I saw the, like it will happen, you will say we said so. And I stood there and said, watch it, it will not happen. Then we got on. He said, if that's what you saw in vision, I don't care. Amos saw it too. Amos saw it too. And he said, how can Israel survive? And he got on his knees. And God said, it will not happen. So we got on our knees and said, Lord, what they have said will not happen. And said, Lord, have mercy. The job of the prophet is not just to go around you know, gloating like, I said it. I said it. God showed it to me. I said it. I said it. That's one of the things God had to teach us through Jonah. Jonah went <laughs> 40 days. All of you are dead. Instead of him to sit down and pray for them. Now you, you, you must understand. The Assyrians were a wicked people. Nineveh was their capital. They were one of the most wicked human beings that ever existed. So Jonah wanted them to be destroyed. So God said, Jonah, I will teach the prophets after you how to do this job. <laughs> Using your life as an experience. You know, all things work together for good. At the end of the day, for the purpose of God. His disobeying God was good. You know why? He gave God the opportunity to have fish swallow him. If he had obeyed God, maybe those guys would not have believed easily. You know what happened? The fish was not just a fish. It was a submarine. Where was it going to? Tashish. Where was it supposed to go to? Now, for information, Tashish was far from both Israel and Nineveh because he wanted to flee from the presence of God. So on the way to Tashish, that was where they threw him into the waters and then he drowned and the fish swallowed him. Do you know where the fish vomited him up? In Nineveh. <laughs> what else do you call submarine? Is that not submarine transportation? Now, this is the gist I heard. He was vomited up and people saw him come out of the belly of the fish. Thank you. Effect. God said, I will show you something. So, when he came out of the belly of the fish, people were like, what? We have seen a sign, you know. So, they said the gods have sent a god. You know that kind of thing. God of heaven sent a spirit, whatever it is. So, next day that he went around saying, Nineveh will be destroyed, everybody believed. Oh, if it's you, you won't believe you saw a fish run ashore, vomit a man on the shore. 
then fall back into the water and disappear. First, you won't run away. You know, no thing. What's going on here? Then why are you still talking about it? Then the man shows up and says, 40 days hence, maybe will be de- destroyed. Oh boy, if you not repent, you should go to hell. <laughs> God made everything work for the counsel of his own will. That was the, that's why as reluctant as Jonah was, the people were afraid. They just got to the king. My lord, the king, long live the king. Why are you panting? The gods. In fact, it's not gods. This is the god of heaven. And this man dreamt of it the other day. He had given them visions and dreams. So when Jonah came, they said, this is the man that came out of the fish. Are you aware that the tomb of Jonah was destroyed only recently? It was one of the things that ISIS destroyed when they were breaking down, you know, uh, what they, all these uh, heritage sites. ISIS was, who, who, was what finally destroyed the tomb of Jonah. It remained until a few years ago. Now, where am I going? Then the people of Nineveh they repented, which is what God wanted. Jonah did not pray for them, they had to pray. For themselves. So God stayed the judgment. The job of a prophet is not just to be predicting. First, you are a preacher or a teacher of the word. Can I taught us that one? You're not just sitting in a corner looking for a vision to share with us. And I'm teaching today, you're also an intercessor. You are there to pray that God's judgment will not come. You are there to pray that revival will break out. So when you see a swarm, of locusts, about to destroy the whole land. Don't just warn us. Go and pray for us. I hope you're getting my point. So God will push, the swarm is supposed to land April 15th, 2023. Your prayer will push it till next year. Then the next set of prayers is for revival. So you keep on declaring the word of God. Then when we repent, it's pushed by another year, and it is pushed till after the coming of Christ. Do you get my point? In which case, you never come. What can do that is our repentance and our work in righteousness. But your job as a prophet is not just to declare things, it's to pray. You see, Jeremiah, that was what he was always doing. So that's why at the point in time, God had to tell him, Jeremiah, don't pray for these people. You read that in Jeremiah chapter 11, verse 14. Don't cry or pray for them. I won't listen. Now, what was the reason? They had continued in their sins. But this to let you know that Jeremiah had made praying a habit. In fact, he said that at the point in time, in chapter 14, he said, do something, Lord, in verse 7, for the sake of your name. Even though our sins testify against us, we have been unfaithful and have sinned against you. You are Israel's hope, the one who saves in times of trouble. Why should you be like a stranger in the land, like a traveler who stays only one night? That was him praying here. But what I wanted to refer to is that at the point in time, he had prayed so much for people, but they were so wicked that his prayer became a prophetic judgment came forth from the mouth of the intercessor. That showed that there was no mercy anymore. If you go to Jeremiah chapter 18, it says, Shall evil be recompensed for good? For they have dug a pit for my soul. He said, Remember I stood before you to speak good for them. And to turn away your wrath from them. Did you see that? 
All he did all the while was to pray for the people. So he got to a time. They had so vexed his soul. I believe the spirit of judgment now came upon him. Let's read the rest of them. Very terrible things that Jeremiah said there. In that Jeremiah chapter 18. He said, therefore, give their children over to famine. And deliver them up to the power of the sword. And let their wives become childless and widowed. Let their men also be smitten to death. Their young men struck down by the sword in battle. May an outcry be heard from their houses when you suddenly bring raiders upon them. For they have dug a pit to capture me and hidden snares for my feet. Yet you, O Lord, know all their deadly designs against me. Do not forgive their iniquity or blot out their sin from your sight. But may they be overthrown before you. Deal with them in the time of your anger. Now, what led to this is what I'm trying to bring up. The men wouldn't repent. Forever, Jeremiah had been praying. He was called since he was young. And as a young man, he began to intercede. And at a point in time, he saw that instead of them repenting, what were they doing? They were plotting to kill the intercessor. By the way, let me get to that. Good. Good time to switch to another thing. And I want to title my message from this point, Don't Kill the Intercessor. <laughs> this guy laugh. <laughs> what did I call it? Don't say the trap for the intercessor. Don't. That will now quickly allow me to explain the machinations of the devil. One thing the devil does is to try and kill intercessors out of your life. He likes to do that. God, please destroy these false prophets. Lord, wipe them away from this nation. Don't let them speak, Lord, where your people will hear. Shut their mouths. Make them voiceless, Lord, I ask you in the name of Jesus Christ. Why did I pray like this? Because they are agents of Satan. They are the number one way by which we kill intercessors. I have found out some of the most powerful intercessors in life are mothers. Oh, they are very powerful. Even God had to say it. Can a woman forget a child that she's nursing? I mean, for him, it's like to explain how much people were dear to him. He had to, you know, use that. He said, okay, even if she might forget, me, I will never forget you. To show how dear you are to him. But I want to bring out the issue of how close mothers might be. Somebody say, your mother can be a witch. Number one, I don't believe it. I don't, I, I don't believe it. It doesn't make any sense. Practical sense doesn't make. I wonder the reason why it doesn't even make sense is that if he decides to kill you when you're 40, it's good. She allowed you to live for 40 years. She could have killed you at birth. She, she, didn't she try? You leave a goat with vegetable. And you're looking at the vegetable for three days. If the goat chops it, you can't beat that goat. Because normal goats, you eat it in the first one hour. This one left for three days, save nice good. Any witch that wants to kill you when you are now 40, it's a good witch. She should have just strangled you when you were still a baby. But she didn't. So have mercy on her. Some people are so steeped in this witchcraft, in this one I'm saying. You know, I've seen that many times. Though. I was, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. As I'm preaching, their spirit has logged out. They'll be looking at me like this one does not know what he's saying. They've done it to me many times. I'll be looking at me. I said, are you even normal? 
Can't you see? Look at the person who's talking to you now. Can't you follow me? Don't I look nice and free? I went to a place to preach. They were saying that this man does not know African demons, African witches. I said, but you that know, you are the one that don't sleep. The one that does not know, I have seen what you will have died over, and I laughed over it. I've seen strange things happen around me. I burst into laughter. If I see snake coming out of my toilet, I will kill it and flush it back. I won't pray about it. Do you know how many times I found bats showing up in my bedroom? And it's not three times. The story I used to tell before was one time. Since then, it has happened twice. So I've now become bat harvesters. Do you know it has never become prayer point? I told you when I was in secondary school, a bat entered our classroom. The boys closed the window, killed the bat, and roasted their head right there. I didn't read in the book. They were my classmates. I remember the name of a number of them. I can see one guy's face. Boy, that was his name. One guy that was singing that refused to eat. His name was, was Tunde. No, I can't. In fact, one was bad boy. He ate. I can remember the names. Then the story of 1983 to early 84. It's not yesterday, and I remember the names. I can see their faces. When the bat entered like this, they removed their shirts. Block that side. The bat, you're not going anywhere. <laughs> they caught the bat. We had the lantern. They removed the shade of the lantern. Used their hand to dissect it and roasted it. No salt, no oil, nothing. Ah. So people have started churches on this thing. This boy is editing and nothing happened to anybody. We all graduated. Nothing happened to us. I, mean, I didn't eat, I didn't have the boldness. <laughs> and my was not about witchcraft, it's lack of salt. I don't know how to cook. Yet people will be telling me that you don't know which. I said, Look, the last bath of food, I, I, I had the money to enter my room. Maybe they hear me preach about it, they come again. I catch them again. I just, once I drum something, just stay there. And that day I told like, him, Where go and remove? I said, There's one bath under that bag. Go and help me remove it. So I think it's dead. I said, Then remove the dead body. Yet, people will be telling me you don't know African. African what? I don't need to know African witches. I just need to know African Jesus. That's all. I need to know where South Africa, where I'm hidden in Christ, in God. That's all. I don't need to know African witches at all. What am I saying of this? Is? Do you know a lot of people, they won't listen to you no matter what you say. They have problems. Their mother is still the witch. A relative of mine traveled once. He was going to brought all these uh, Japa things. And when he left, the mother was heartbroken. Why? He told the mother he was traveling. Only maybe like three days before it was time to depart out of the nation. No, you're not getting my point. He had gotten the visa for the whole family. He had sold whatever he wanted to sell. He had packed, he had done everything. And then he was going to leave maybe on Sunday. Then on Friday, he came to tell his own mother that I'm leaving the country. The mother told my mother that she am the witch that does not want my child to make progress. That was what she said. How will my son hide this from me? Okay. And where does he go? All these fire mountain churches. That's where he goes. Hide it all. You know, let me tell you something. All those churches, eh? let me tell you something. Their God is weak. Oh, their God is weak. Their God only thrives in subterfuge and camouflage to succeed. He can't build, bring out his chest boldly like Goliath. You know the way Goliath stood out. Say, if you can't, come. 
Their God cannot do it. Their God is too weak. Their God na hide hide corner corner hide hide seek seek. Their God can't protect you if your enemy can see you. The only way their God can protect you is that you hide from your enemy. Go and buy camouflage. You wear camouflage all the time. When your enemy says, are you traveling? No, I'm in my house. Say, but you're in the car. The car is my house. <laughs> then, is your house, why are you driving it? It's a modern house. It's mobile. <laughs> Say, but you're about to travel. Where are you going? You will not know where I'm going. You will not know where I'm going. This really happened. I saw somebody. Go greeting. Because, yeah, oh, but how now? Okay, how now? I'm fine now. Where are you now? You won't know where I am. You will not know where I am. You will not know where I am. Now, that one really don't. No, I don't want to know where you are. Thank you very much. Please, people. These false prophets are just confusing you. Okay, if I tell you which I want to travel, what will you now do now? What can you now do? Did the Bible not say he prepares a table before me in the presence of my enemies? Any God that needs you to hide before he can defend and protect you, he's sick. He has to be admitted. Peradventure, some angels can treat him. They will now sit on the throne while he goes for godly training. Somebody has to treat, teach him how to be God. The God that thyself, he makes an open show. It's an open show, God. He tells you, what can you do? Better kiss the son, lest he be angry. Say that my son that's about to travel, give him full money. Otherwise, he will perish before he comes back. That's what he does. He announces it. He prepares a table in the presence of the enemies. The one I'm making all of this is this. These false prophets, they lie to people. They turn your intercessors to your enemies. That's what I'm saying. What they do is that the person that should have been praying for you is the one they often target to say this person is your enemy. They actually will tell a young man or a young woman, do not relate with your mother or your mother-in-law. The mother-in-law comes to their house. They have this anger already, born out of fear. The money that the young man used to send to the mother, they have seen them. They actually tell the person, don't send money again, that your money is being taken to a coven. Please, all these things are lies. What did I say? Say it again. Satan thrives on lies. What he does is to bring the judgment of Jeremiah against the people. They dig a pit for the one interceding for you. That's what they are doing. You now become one. Now, let me tell you something about scripture. There are some words that are just hanging in the air. You activate or deactivate them. Whether that woman speaks or not, Jeremiah has spoken. I don't know what I heard I said. A prophet, an interceding prophet has spoken. You have cost her to start being angry with you. That was why Jeremiah said, now bring destruction upon them. When you force the voice of intercession to cease, 
is automatically turned to a voice of accusation and prophetic declaration for evil. Then you see what happened here? Jeremiah said, ah, should good be repaid with evil? Listen, all these prophets lie, oh. He said, what if it is true? Which kind of useless God do they serve that cannot stop a witch? I don't know whether you are getting my point. You serve, check and well. Reason about it properly. How can your God be so powerful he's afraid of a witch? If your God was so powerful, why can't, didn't you see Balaam? We've studied Balaam here again and again. And again, Balaam was powerful. Balaam was not one witch trying to do an apprentice in a coven or apprenticeship in a coven. Balaam used to talk to animals. I've explained this here before. People say that Balaam should have run when donkey began to talk. I said, because you are not Balaam. A donkey talking to Balaam is like your phone ringing. What I mean is that you know a village person. If he has never seen me, somebody comes from the middle of the Amazon forest. I've never seen telecom. You put this thing down. looks like, it. look, what is that? The, 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 the things makes sound. Then you pick it. And you hear a spirit talking from inside. It will run. And you are talking back to the spirit. You are in, you are in a coven. Do you get my point? Hey, but you, it's not anything. You pick a phone. What's the big deal? All kinds of phones have talked to you before. You have made calls on phones. It's not a big deal to you. That's how it was with Balaam. Birds had brought him messages. They have found dead bodies on the field. They say, who murdered this one? They did not know. They called Balaam. Balaam stood there and whistled, offered some sacrifices, and called. And an eagle came, landed, and talked to him. Because the eagle saw from far who did it, who did it. Did. So when a donkey opened his mouth to speak to Balaam, Balaam answered like you would answer your phone. It was not shocking to him. Yet the same Balaam said, there is no enchantment against Jacob. He said, no divination works against Israel. Any prophet that cannot lash on those words, but be telling you what to do to stop the witch walking in your life, is fake. He's serving a weak God. The God is on admission. He's taking blood transfusion. So bear it in mind. If the witch says, if the witch says, if the prophet says your mother is a witch, say, oh, then stop her. Let's pray for her. Because real people that deal with witches, the witches are the ones that will come and say it's not working again. And I've told you here many times, many people have not heard it before, I'll say it again. One way to disarm those witches in your village is to send them money. If they eat your money, they are weakening their, their witchcraft. If they wear your clothes, they can't fly. Why am I saying this? Many people have shut down the voices of their intercessors simply because of fear. And that is a satanic machination. When Balaam did not work in his incantations, when he did not work against Israel, he had to teach Balak how to move things. And that's what they do. Spiritual things are manipulated. So this is what they do is that they just manipulate the spiritual things. So how do we get this guy to die? This woman will not let us kill him because he's an intercessor. She's an intercessor in his life. So he gets a false prophet to use dreams and visions. Accurate visions, accurate dreams that will tell him what he ate in the secret three days ago. What he said when nobody was there. What he thought about. They will give him a dream while he's sleeping. They narrate the dream to him in their white garment church. He will believe them. They do not end it with your mother is a witch. They confuse soul with belief. Then they shut the voice of the intercessor. It takes them a year. A year of him starving her. 
A year of him not calling her. A year of her getting confused that what did I do to my son? And say, God, do you see my hand, though? And once she says that, that is activation of this prophetic judgment by Jeremiah. The following year, they kill him. Once a woman my wife knew, stopped my wife and told her what her husband was up to. Imagine a woman's husband inciting her to commit adultery. My wife got home and told me the story. I said, are you aware? I told her, are you aware of what is going on? She said, what do you mean? I said, he wants to kill her. And he has tried. But it's not working. He needs to break the hedge. My wife jumped into her car immediately. Raced back to where the woman was. I have a message for you from my husband. Told a friend of mine the story in the office. Before I could finish the story, he said, that man wants to kill that woman. That man is an occultist. Just, not, just I said, ah. Exactly what I said. He said, no, it's clear. Now, if you understand spiritual, these things are basic. Listen, silencing the intercessors is one critical method by which Satan gets his job done in our lives. I want to begin to round up for today. Apparently, I can't finish this. But I want to understand something. In Nigeria of today, he has begun it again. The stage has been set to wreck this nation. Not through Boko Haram. Not through headsmen. No. No, not through APC or PDP. No, through the accusations from the church who are supposed to be intercessors. He has set the stage. I will give it to you straight. The word is there. Stolen mandate. It cannot be the will of God. This was not what we prophesied. This was not what we wanted. So you see, majority of Christians are going into the next administration with hard hearts, being only accusers. But let me just warn those of you who will not listen to what I'm saying. Because some of us have said you will not succeed in this accusation. And because we have said so, your accusations will backfire against you. Please, I'm not praying. No. Don't, we, don't say amen. I beg you. I'm warning people. No. I'm not praying. I'm not prophesying. I'm warning. I will teach more on this later. Please, people of God, you either work for God or you work for Satan. The church has been recruited right now by Satan. They have taken their bow and their arrows. They've taken their weapons of war and they have lined up behind the devil to work against this nation. I pray you understand the subtlety of the devil. He knows what he's doing. We are the ones confused. I see them all the time on Twitter, online and stuff. I say, if God does not shut these people down, they will wreck this country. But thank God that he has given us understanding. We will not let them. They are doing, and listen, you pastors, the law will, no, I will ask him to shut your pulpit. I won't even give you any chance. I will cry on my knees and say, that man, shut him down, Lord, shut him down. Close his church. Remove the ability to speak into the nation from his mouth. Because he's raising an army for the devil. They have been primed. They've been priming them since last year. I've been warning since last year. Who was telling me this? Okay, one of our sisters, yes, she called me today, we're talking. No. Some people calling me to greet me today, you know the way it is. So he called, he said, look, his sister was in church and prayed the prayer you will agree with and said, Lord, whoever will be your choice for this nation, let him be one who will do this. Let him be one who will do that. Lord, establish your own choice. When he finished the, you know, the mama of the church called out to his side and warned her never to pray like that again. 
that you know who we want, that's the best you'll be praying. She'll win. I said, like, ma, please think about it. Well, she said, no. We know who we want. We know who God has chosen. And of course, who they want, who God chose as far as they are concerned, did not win the election. And they start again. No. So, if whoever sits on the throne is not the person they want, they are an army of accusers. Illegitimate government. The government without the people's support. And God says, ah, when did you become the people? And they go on and on and on and on and on. I've been warning Christians. Let me tell you something. No word of God leaves you the same. If you obey, it will bless you. If you disobey, it is bringing you down. I wrote a book. I'm begging Christians, go back and read it. It's not too late. Let us agree. If you disagree, you will be judged. Listen, I know what I'm telling you. Because you see, right now, the people of God have been raised. And read Rick Joyner. Rick Joyner said it in his book, Final Quest, that many Christians carry evil spirits on their back and they are fighting against the church and they are fighting against the plan of God in the army of the devil and they don't know it. I said this one at the beginning. One of the first things an intercessor must learn is how to forgive. I've been married for 20 something years now, have you? Let's think he's 25, that's so why I can brag some more. It remains small. In a few months, it'll be 24. And many times, my wife has done things that make me unhappy. Sometimes disobeyed my clear cut instructions. But I've always been careful not to be an accuser before God on a matter. Always add, Lord, forgive. Why? The strongest intercessory voice in her life is this one you are hearing. Anoint me from now till tomorrow. I will pray that you will live and not die. That your bones will not be broken. That you will travel, you will come back safely. In the midst of my anger, I'm still saying that one. Because you don't want to turn the voice of your intercessor to that of your accuser. It's deadly. You saw Jeremiah do it. Jeremiah says, should evil be paid for good? Lord, you are a witness how I stood before you constantly, begging that your wrath may be turned away from them. Say, how have they paid me back? They have paid me back by digging a pit for my feet. Therefore, make their wives widows. You don't want the voice of the intercessor to be turned to that of an accuser. It's deadly. God is telling the church, you will pay for all the damage done during answers. You will pay. Answers damage is on the neck of the church. One way or the other, they have to pay. I don't have time to talk about it now. I said it that time. We invited horsemen into this country to ride and destroy. And they rode and destroyed. Let me tell you something there. With all the noise we are making, the worst problem we have right now in Nigeria is the church of God. I said at the beginning, except you start believing the gospel and stop all this political maneuvering and economic discussion you are discussing, God is going to soon shut you down. Because the gospel remains the light of the nations. It's a shameful thing. That's why Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because no man will become ashamed of it. 
prominent Nigeria died, then I keep on using this as an illustration. They call one of our biggest clergymen in our region here to come and officiate, and I was ashamed of him because he was clearly ashamed of the gospel. They gathered the cream de la cream of the political society and economic society. Carried them in one arena and gave you 40 minutes to speak to them. And I heard his message and I shook my head. I said, what have we become? There's what I do when you give me such opportunities. I say nothing that makes sense deliberately. I go there and read scripture. My wife was there. We went for a man's wedding the birthday a few days ago. Pastor Oshie, I just read Jeremiah chapter 10 from verse, verse, verse 6 to verse 16. Then I read Colossians chapter 1 from verse 13 to 20. And I told stories about the two things. God is great. Jesus is the healer. Jesus is the savior. Anyone who believes is saved. The person who we are celebrating, he has believed, so he's saved. There's no other way by which you can be saved. I said, and after that, I sit down. Holy Spirit, use that one. The person we're celebrating was his 90th birthday. A lot of people will get there. They'll be talking about keys to long life. And God will be looking at them and say, are you all right? Say, what is wrong with this one? He said, you have to know what you eat. Daddy here knew what he was eating. God said, I will soon give you something you don't like to eat. Why? Because we're ashamed of the gospel. We're ashamed of the gospel. We're ashamed of the gospel. But the damn man gathered. He said, he wants to talk to the politicians. You who are stealing money. I said, is that the problem? A politician stealing money is not a sinner. He was a sinner before he started stealing. Sin didn't make him a sinner. I hope you're getting my point. He was sinning before he died stealing. Is that the problem he has? If you don't know Jesus, why should you still steal? If you're not stealing, you're in Nigeria and you don't know Jesus Christ. Something's wrong with your head. Every unbeliever should steal. Even Jesus said it. Say of your father the devil. See, the devil is his nature to lie. Is that not what Jesus said? Whose son are you if you are the de- of the devil and you don't steal? We only have a problem when Christians steal. If I were an allergy and three women follow me here, wife number one, wife number two, three, ten, I married every ten years, will you be angry? <laughs> but if that may just mistakenly says that, Pastor, he's thinking of maybe by next year, you know, he's been married to his room now for like ten years or twelve years, so just think next year that maybe. You know, I will tell our apostle, hold him from behind. <laughs> Thank God, Pastor Moffitt is around. Hold him on this side. No, in fact, beyond that, self, I will have a boy to tie him for me. Because this one will come out not only with prayer, or with belt, koboko, everything. As somebody is beating him for me, I'm saying, come out. <laughs> come out. Why? He's a Christian and a man of God. Yet, his friends came with three. I didn't say anything. Because some things are not inappropriate when it's done by some people. So when you get to such arenas, you don't go and be telling them that, eh, you politician. The man said, you put should retire. Why are you not retiring at 70? The wisest men are 80 years old. What's wrong with you? I said, what is that? Listen to me. If it's your own business you are doing, do you plan to retire at 70? All this time I say, because it's so that job can go round. 
You think that I'm going to retire at 70? I look at the man and say, what is this one you say? What were you supposed to do? Go there. I love the man who went to the United Nations. They gave him the opportunity to speak. He said, I present to you Jesus, the hope of the world. But when we're ashamed of the gospel, we think that it doesn't have power. Yeah, that's it. So we don't present the gospel. We don't understand that the foolishness of God is wiser than men. And it has pleased God through the foolishness of the message to save those who will believe. The, the, the message has to be foolish. If the message is wise, it's a bad one. They say, what do, how do we solve Nigeria economic problem? You say, believe in Jesus Christ. You know, it's very, very foolish. But that's the wisdom of God. You say, how do we solve terrorism? Say, everybody repent of your sins. It's very foolish. But it's the wisdom of God. What am I going to say? In this political thing in Nigeria, by the Spirit of God, I command every Christian, get away from the camp of the accusers. Return into the camp of intercessors. The number of intercessors do, I told at the beginning. Whether you think this or not, don't think that is your problem. As an intercessor, first thing, you must be a forgiver. You know what they call forgiver? You overlook faults. You overlook offenses. We began with that. You overlook what is wrong. You just overlook. Keep on overlooking. Why? You don't want offense in your heart. You don't want it. It makes you unable to intercede. It makes you unable to plead for mercy. That's why I've told every Christian in this nation, May 29, when you don't go here, we're also in Nigeria. Two primary ones that concern us here. Once somebody takes the oath of office, I'm his intercessor, 100%. Not for his sake, but for my nation's sake. And right now, the nation is on our lips in intercession daily. We are saying to God, don't bring forth judgment. Push back the hand of judgment. Let revival break out. Satan is saying all the time, what do you think? This is what this, this is what that, this country is finished. And listen to me, you cannot be an intercessor and an accuser at the same time. You have to choose one. If you are an accuser, you are not an, I don't care. And listen, right now, I, do, I hate it now, right now. When people gather me to come and pray for Nigeria, I usually don't go. Because this election has opened the heart of the people I'm joining hands with. I realize we're never in agreement. No wonder we have all the problems we have. The people of God couldn't come into agreement. Look, I wrote a small book now. Go and read it. Titled, Let Us Agree. I'm begging you, read that book. It's it's free. It was never printed. It's available only as an e-copy. It's on our website. Just read it and see how we can come together. It's a gospel matter. It's not a political matter. Politics has only succeeded in dividing our tongue. Dividing our agreement. Because we have abandoned the gospel. We have now become accusers instead of intercessors. I'll continue from this point next time. But let me just add this one to it so I'll remember to say it. Everything you are doing in life, your primary job there is intercession. I'll develop this further next time, but let me just introduce it. Any title you call yourself, the primary job of that title is intercession. For example, you call yourself teacher. Whether primary school, secondary school, or university. Thus says the Lord, your primary job is not to explain things. Your primary job is to get on your knees every morning 
pray for the children you are going to minister to that day. Say to them, raise this one in righteousness, Lord. Have mercy upon this one. Lord, help this, the father of this one. Help the mother of this one. Just say simple things. It doesn't have to be complicated words. Simple words. Let this child live and not die. This one is very sickly. Lord, may healing come upon him. Pray for those children. You can practice your biology and chemistry later. The first one hour of the day, pray. When you're done with praying for those children, pray for the school. When you're done with praying for the school, pray for the educational system. This commandment I have issued, whether you teach in primary school, secondary school, or university, is the same thing. I don't mean no, get on your knees and agonize. You have a small class, tell them, give me the list. If you can match names to the faces, do it. That it match faces to the names I wanted to say. If you do that regularly, you will know you will come into visions and revelations. Because one day you'll be praying and you will see something. That question that Hope asked me then, I said, tell the person, don't think you're a prophet too. You see things don't matter. It doesn't matter. You can end up being a teacher. You can end up being a, a secretary in an organization. You can end up being a lawyer. You can end up being anything. Because visions and revelations are not limited to prophetic office. Is the, the blessing that God has given every Christian. If you're a mother, pray for visions and revelations. When your child joins the fence, you're waiting at the end of the street. As they land for that side, you know, no say you don't date that side. The Lord has told you, for this boy is jumping at 8 o'clock. So you two, you don't jump before him. As, at the end of the street, I just want to say, Benga. The guy thinks, hey, wait, did I hear a spirit? <laughs> was that not what Elisha did to Gehazi? Gehazi was running up and down. <laughs> Elisha was following him. As he was pursuing that man, Elisha was following him. He did not know. Don't you think you need that as a father and as a mother? If a child runs away from the house to go for a party, don't worry. You let him reach there. Then you embarrass him in front of his friend. He won't come again. You enter the party. Hey, you, you drag him by his, his ears out of the place. He will never. How did you know I was here? It doesn't matter. You will know I parent by the spirit. Your primary assignment as a parent is not my agba mojo, you know, feeling like a meter get picking. No. Once they deliver that child to you, you have bought a prayer point all the days of your life. The primary assignment of a husband is pray for the wife, not to boss, to pray. You are her primary intercessor. The primary assignment of the wife is to intercede for the husband. The primary assignment of the employee is to intercede for the company and for their customers and the employer. The primary assignment of the citizen is what? Shout it loud. Say it louder. Any title you have, you have a primary duty of intercession connected to that title. Any title you have. Oh, let's not forget the primary assignment of the president of a country is what? Pray for his country. The primary assignment of the governor of the state 
pray for the state. It's not to go to the office. Listen to me. The difference between a true Christian ministry and the one that is not Christian is whether intercession is first in the line of activities or is not. If you're a business person and the first is making money, leave that business. You are not called of God. If you have nothing to drive you to your knees in prayer for, there's nothing you are doing there. If you pastor a church, your primary assignment is not numbers. Your primary assignment is anybody who steps in here, start declaring and begging God. The one that's supposed to die, Lord, lead him into this assembly. If they cross this threshold, let the spirit of death be forever banished. Oh, a couple is about to separate. Lord, lead them this way. If they cross this threshold, Father, in the name of Jesus, that spirit that goes against your word, that says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife. And that spirit, I come against it, Father, in the name of Jesus, show them mercy. The ones that are there all the time, you pray for them. Lord, fill them with the spirit of understanding, the spirit of revelation in the knowledge of you. Time will not allow me now. Go and check it. I found out that's all Paul ever used to talk about. Say, for this cause, I bow my knees. He wrote to the Romans. I like the way, let me just read that one, then I'll close with it. If you read that one in Romans, eh, the way New Living Translation put it, is such a beautiful one. He said, Romans chapter 1. He said, God knows how often I pray for you. Day and night, that's verse 9, I bring you and your needs in prayer to God, whom I serve with all my heart by spreading the good news about his son. Beautiful. That's Romans, uh, Romans chapter 1 verse 9. New Living Translation. He said, God knows how often I pray for you. Listen. What makes you a true minister of the gospel? That your primary assignment in life is intercession. What makes you a true mother? That your primary assignment over your children is intercession. What makes you a true father? Is that your primary assignment over those children is intercession. What makes you a husband? Is that your primary assignment over your wife is intercession. What makes you a citizen? Is that your primary assignment over the nation is what? intercession. Let's stop it here. We'll pick it up from this point next time. Can you just bow down your heads and say, Lord, grace to intercede. 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 Ask the Lord to pour it upon you. Ask for mercy. For negligence. Many of us have been negligent. We did not know. A lot of our negligence was out of ignorance. You have complained about your brother. You've complained about your mother. You have complained about your siblings. Why are you complaining? You have understanding. Uh-huh. It's not meant for complaining. It's not meant for accusation. Most accusa- uh, complaints are nothing but accusations. Say, Lord, forgive me. Forgive me now. I did not know. Lord, forgive me. I beg you. Don't just forgive me. Cleanse me and replace that space with a new grace. A new anointing to pray. Take a minute. Pray for your family. Your natural family now. For that brother who is misbehaving. For that sister that can't seem to get it right. Say, Lord, I ask for my brother. Have mercy upon him. Teach him the truth. Show him the light of the gospel. Fill him if he's a believer with the knowledge of your will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Lord, let him walk in a manner worthy of you. Look at the way Paul used to pray for the churches. Say, Lord, I pray for him. Pray. Pray. The prayers of Paul are so powerful. 
said, for this reason I kneel before the Father, from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives his name. I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit and your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the saints, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, so that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That's the kind of thing Paul used to pray for. Pray. Pray for somebody. If you are a boss in an office, the primary assignment God has given you is to pray for your staff. You have complained a lot, but when did you ever sit down and say, Lord, fill this young man, fill this young woman with the knowledge of your will. Many of, if you know how some people were raised, nobody ever taught them anything. God gave them a job with you for a reason. God gave them a job with you for a reason. Say to the Lord, I will not silence my own intercessors because everybody needs prayer. Lord, may I not silence my intercessors. Let them not rise up and become my accusers. Oh, Father, we give you praise. We thank you. In the name of Jesus, we have prayed.